Hey all, I just want to give everyone a heads up as you go into this episode. There's a, some audio quality issues between the 12 and 15 minute mark. Um, the recording had a number of glitches throughout this episode, which I've repaired as best as I can, but there's about a two to three minute period around the 12 minute mark where there's just a lot of skipping. Feel free to fast forward through that. Um, about minute 15, it picks up again normally for the rest of the audio broadcast. I apologize for this and we'll get it straightened out on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Hey, welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always, of course, by QB11. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? I am good. I'm good. We got some exciting uh, things to talk about today. I'm really, really counting down the days to Georgia. What are we at? 23 days now? Yeah, I think uh, looking at the schedule, yes. I'm not very good at math, but I think I can count to that number. Um, yeah, we're 23 days out. Uh, first scrimmage of fall camp takes place tomorrow morning. Um, so like things are getting real. Guy, the team's in pads. The recruiting is picked up again. We've got another commitment to talk about today. Um, things are. It's, it seems like we are trending into the season at this point. Yeah, and I know everyone will be interested to hear that you know as we get into the season, starting with Georgia, we'll, we'll move to a two days per two episodes per week. So we'll be doing our kind of pregame episode. We'll be released on Fridays. Well, we'll really preview what's going to happen that week. What are the keys to watch? What are some storylines? All that good stuff. And then, of course, we'll have uh, the other podcast on Sunday, kind of recapping what happened. Uh, so we'll have a pretty regular cycle going on throughout the season of that, uh, you know, two episodes per week. But, of course, on all those episodes, too, if there's any breaking news on recruiting or conference realignment or just any other storylines to watch, not just within the Oregon team, but in the conference and around the country, you know, we'll cover those week to week to week as well in each of those two episodes, but uh, I'm really excited. I, I bought my plane ticket to the Georgia game, I don't know, like nine months ago. So it's been sitting in my pocket, so to speak, my virtual pocket for quite some time, and I'm getting ready to fly out there and watch that game, and I, I'm, it's starting to feel real finally. So football's back. Camp has been here all week. Um, do you want to jump into camp first? Let's or, talk about that, or do you want to talk about the new recruit we got today? Let's talk about camp. I think there's been uh, some some good media availabilities. I mean, obviously, we're limited to the practice reports um, being put out by the athletic department, as well as um, the limited reporting that that the other media members are able to do during the little peek into practice that they get at the first 20 minutes, which is primarily warm-ups. But um, I think that there's been a lot of really interesting good stuff um, in some of the player interviews. They released heights and weights today for for all the players. So um, Oregon is officially for all of your efforts in making that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, um, I I definitely don't deserve any praise, but I think I am one of a bunch of people that was sending angry messages um, to people in the HDC about why in the world does our media guide? Why is it the only one in the Power Five that doesn't have heights and weights on it? Um, so I'm glad that that got rectified. There was actually some big changes um, for some guys, and uh, I think we during the player availability for the media this week, we heard some of those guys talking about some of the changes they made to their body. But um, team looks good. Um, they're actually like advertising the real heights of guys now. So a bunch of guys that have been like six five, six six on the offensive line are now six three, which is kind of funny. Um, 
but it's it's cool to see that we're being honest about how big guys actually are. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's always been that a certain amount of gamesmanship and those kind of heights and weight numbers, but it, it does seem like some teams at some places have kind of taken it to kind of the, the level of the absurd. So uh, I, I like seeing it being back more in the realm of the reality now, which is which is great. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, we, we didn't talk about this in our pre-show prep, and um, I'm just going to throw it as a little curveball in here. Um, I, if you check your DMs real quick, Doug, I just sent you um, the the updated roster heights and weights. I kind of wanted to see if there was anything that sticks out to you. Um, and I'll, I'll go first since um, I, I've already looked at this and kind of have a few thoughts while you kind of peruse really quick and take a look at the roster. But um, one of the, some of the things I noticed is really just at the linebacker position in particular, um, guys leaning out kind of getting down more to an optimum weight where which is going to maximize their explosiveness and athleticism and as coach we've seen over the last couple days and week um coach jaws and our the assistant strength and conditioning coach who's in charge of speed training has been kind of advertising um some of the some of the miles per hour gps marks that guys have been hitting um through training and through camp and uh i i think that it's pretty easy to identify that guys are down and leaner, more optimum weights to allow for better movement ability. I mean, seeing uh, Sewell down to 253, which is the lightest he's been at any point at Oregon, um, flows down to 220 when he was at 245 a year ago. Um, so, like, a lot leaner. But, I mean, if you look at him, he looks even bigger than he was a year ago. Um, but guys like Mace Funa even down at 255 pounds. I don't like to get too caught up in all of this, the, the listed weight stuff, but I think that when you see the pictures of the guys, you hear some of the reports coming out of camp of how guys are moving and looking, and then um, you see it again on the third data point on the roster where they're the lightest that they've been by a pretty considerable margin at any point in their Oregon career. Um, it's it's awesome to see, and I'm really excited to, to get my own eyes on these guys and see how they're moving uh, once we get to some live action. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit on the speed numbers and that's been one of the things that really, you know, I've I've been talking about for quite a while, you know, offline and on both is, you know, the team speed, you know, and that we've seen coming out both in the reported numbers, but also just in, you know, whatever, whatever video highlights we get to see, you know, or, or you know, spring, um, spring ball or whatever. I, I, I And the players talking about it, right? And the you know, the, the Oregon media day, and we talked about this on a couple episodes ago, you know, it really, you could really just hear all the players talking about how well, how well they felt, you know, how, like, I remember some of them talking about how, like, you know, you know, Jaworski, you know, had caught them how, you know, kind of retaught them how to run properly. Right. And, and things like that, you know, their body mechanics and, and, you know, seeing them and how fit everyone looked, I think that was the word he used that I, I really thought was a good one. Um, and but also the speed, and then seeing the speed numbers back that up, and some some guys made some pretty significant speed jumps, like you know over the last six months. And I think I think that's going to be something I'm really watching for on the field. You know, not just in the Georgia game, but over the course of the season, is I'm really anticipating a noticeable improvement in overall team speed on the field. And I'm I'm really interested to see that play out. And I think you're right about you know a lot of guys a lot of guys were playing big. You know, and I think that was, you know, part of what Mario and Feld wanted. And that's why, why it was right. It's not like they were lazy or fat or out of shape or whatever. I mean, they were all working 
Uh, it just was a different philosophy, I, I think, out of that staff than than the staff we have now, and and I think that's showing. And and uh, you know, I'm really interested to see you know some of these guys, and uh, you know, can they can they turn that speed into power, right? And it's something you hear the coaches talk about a lot. Yeah, well, I think um, it's reflected too. Like Bruce Feldman released his annual freaks list this week, and there was four ducks on it. Um, and yeah, you most kinda... of any team in the country. Yeah, exactly. I think it's tied for the most with Alabama for the most in the country. And um, DJ Johnson checked in at number four. And like this little excerpt here that I had that I had pulled was um, those numbers are as jaw dropping as the results. The six foot four, two hundred and seventy five pound uh, edge players produced in the Oregon training program, posting a blazing twenty two point eight eight miles per hour on the GPS to go with a four hundred and fifty five pound bench and six hundred and fifty five pound sumo deadlift. To be that size and to run like that is um, unnatural, and so I, I'm I cannot wait to to see what he looks like on the field. Um, other guys that were mentioned: uh, Christian Gonzalez, um, Noah Sewell, and Justin Flo were all in the top 100. Um, and so it's cool to see. And I think the the fact of the matter is that you have a, when you have a guy at each level. Um, of the defense and and all these guys are really explosive players that can run to the ball. If they're playing fast and they're playing confident in this defense, um, I think I think like you said, I think this will really show up on show up on the tape and on and on the field. Yeah, one of the you know kind of moving on from the the heights and weight stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me on the first day of camp was, you know, the the reporting was that every player on the roster was a participant. And that was exciting to see. Unfortunately, that, that didn't last too long. And, and one group in particular that seems to have been hit pretty hard is the offensive line. Uh, you know, Bass has been limited. Sala's missed several days. I think he was back at practice the last couple of days, but, you know, probably in a limited capacity as well. Um, and I know there's been two or three other other guys who have been in and out of practice at the offensive line position. Um do you see that as a cause for concern potentially, or just like that's camp and, you know, hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, ready to go by Georgia. It's a mixture of both. I think, I think it's, um, it, it can be a blessing in disguise in some ways too. Like you return so much experience. Those guys, while they can always improve and get better, they don't have a lot to prove at this point in their career. They're, they're, they're going into their last years at Oregon. I think the key is to get those guys healthy, to get them the reps that you can get them and make sure that they're ready come September 3rd. Um, but I think, especially early in camp, the chaos creates opportunity in some ways for guys like Kweka Rogers and Josh Connerly and Bram Walden and and um, Dave Uli and all these guys to, to kind of get reps with the higher-level units than they probably would have otherwise um, and, and kind of get thrown into the deep end a little bit and go up against some some better, more veteran players on the defensive line and, and really um, test themselves and, and see it's a good opportunity for the staff and Adrian Clem, the, the offensive line coach, to see who, who, can, who can swim in the deep end early in camp. So um, I, think, I think that the, it's a good trend to see what kind of versatility is available on the offensive line where the young guys are. Uh, but level currently starting into the scrimmages um, and Moving into next week, and as we get a game plan, really getting as many reps as possible with the full, full five healthy. Uh, it's going to be paramount so that they can gel and get cohesiveness going before we play Jordan September third. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, you hear reports of Connerly working with the first team, 
and all those other guys you mentioned getting getting really quality reps with you know first and second team units and that that like you said pays the full side right the the silver lining if you will so um yeah I mean I think about last year we went to last season with the team we thought we was the experience and then injuries just slapped us across the face every position um and it what it created was opportunities for guys to fill in the vacuum and get reps. And now as we come into the 22 season, guys like Jared Bassa are, have a ton of snaps for their belt now, and they're veterans. So it just really accelerated growth of the overall roster and created really quality depth. So hopefully these, these in camp can be used as a pretty banner and can help help build depth that will certainly be needed as we get through the season. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Um, what other thoughts you have so far? I mean, the information about a little sparse. I think there's been a lot of really good interviews. I, I feel like um, you know, maybe you know, last year there was an open practice. It's not going to be and this year. Who knows what kind of media availability there's going to be during the scrimmages that are being run. But one thing that feels like has been a lot better this year um, has been the media availability. As both because players, I think there's been you know and. and just really like the coaches in particular that we're hearing from, you know, Carlos Lachlan spoke yesterday after practice, and um, every time I hear that guy, I, you know, I just get fired up. You know, I'm just like, this is a football coach, an old school football coach. How can you listen to that guy and not want to run the ball for him? Right? I know that that's cliche, but it certainly seems like it's out with him. Um, you know, I really like the way he talked about his room. Like he, he will go to war with his guys. Um, you know, he's got their back all day, but he's also going to hold them and put them to their, to their for this limits. And, and he has very high expectations on on work, right? Like, the work ethic that they all put in. And, and you, don't, you know, you're on the field and you're on all the time and no one's going to outwork you. And I, I just love listening to, to Coach Lachlan. Yeah, me too. I, Coach Lachlan's a real throwback. I And I the thing about it is, is some guys have this, like, bravado, bravado in the way they talk and... Uh, they they project this like alpha, like persona, but it just feels kind of forced. Like that's just who he is, um, and it comes off very authentic and genuine. It doesn't come off as like macho man. Like I'm the I'm the biggest toughest guy in the room. I'm kind of deal with it. Like I have extremely high standards. Like I'm hard worker. These guys are hard workers, and they're not gonna have the opportunity to slack off. Uh, and I think there's a there's going to be a physicality and a grit that comes to that room through his personality and the way that he coaches. That he's been like kind of lacking. I, I'm not trying to say I don't want to pick on specific players over the past few years, but there's been a lot of times where Oregon's been in some situations where guys have not been. And, uh, to, to steal a phrase from Coach Lock himself, they will run to the house and save the kids. Um, just to run angry, to run with that, like, uh, that, that kind of that will and that physicality that is that I'm going to get the yards necessary for us to convert here, and I'm gonna you can try that, but I'm wrong with me. Um, and I think that that's gonna rub off on the guys, and I think we're gonna have a group of really, really scrappy runners who are just gonna get after for every yard. I think that is that's an exciting proposition. I think the offensive lines to be pretty good if we can if we have a bunch of guys. That excuse my friend, I told to bring on 
with and you could cycle three or four of them in and out of of the lineup with a balanced offense that can throw the ball vertically, teams are not going to like as much in the third and fourth quarter of games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I th- the, the Lachlan quote <laughs> kind of caught me that I, I really enjoyed. I think when he was asked, like, who's the hardest worker in the room? And he said, me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I love that. I love that attitude. He's, and that's the, he's setting a really high bar and he wants all those players to come meet it. Absolutely. And I think if you, um, some of the, the pieces that have been put out on him and kind of getting to know his background a little bit and where he came from and, um, his path to to getting into coaching, he's really ground like grinded it out from the bottom floor. Like he didn't he didn't step into a cushy GA job. He didn't. I mean, he was a volunteer, and um, the only way that he knew to work to get here was to work hard and to do things that make sacrifices that other people weren't willing to do. And I think that having somebody with that kind of work ethic and persona in the locker room to set the example for the players um, and to galvanize the team is invaluable. Uh, and I, I hope the whole team takes on Coach Lachlan's attitude, not just the running backs. I hope that that proliferates throughout the locker room to the edge players, and the defensive tackles, just as much as it does to the running backs. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Um I know we heard from Coach Tuiati and, and Coach Powage today. You know, what do you think about what they had to say? Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to listen to him yet. I did see a quote of uh, Tuiati talking specifically about Dorlis as, as the alpha of the, the entire defense um, and kind of the presence that he's bringing as a leader. And I know we talked about this on last week's podcast, but I totally see it. Like both as as the player on the field and the production that he's put up over the last few years and and the um, type of player he's been but like his personality i mean the kid just he's got a million dollar smile like he said last week and he's um he's very personable and, and energetic and you could tell that he'd be a guy that the team gravitates to and so for him to take the next step and, and be a really dominant player this year and then also step into that vocal leadership role that i think uh, throughout the entire process of all these interviews has been pretty clear that there's a lot of leaders on this team but having Brandon Durlis be one of the big ones is a, is a really important thing for this team. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I think Durlis, you know, that guy's been here a long time, and you know when your when your natural leaders are also guys who are your, your best players, you know, at their respective positions or sides of the ball, like that that that's the kind of synergy that just really really helps you know the whole the whole roster up and down, right? Like sometimes you've got guys who are leaders but aren't star players or vice versa and that that is a more challenging way to build a team yeah i agree and one thing uh that's not really related to the team as it stands in fall camp this year but um coach clem was being interviewed yesterday and and james asked him asked him a really good question about uh recruiting and kind of like what the numbers are that they want to hit this year and um, obviously acknowledging that there's been some misses on the trail early in the cycle, and it's not a particularly deep class out West or nationally even for offensive linemen. And so, um, like, what are what's, like, the baseline number we want to take and what's the number we want to get to? And Plum gave, I think, the best possible answer in the sense that, like, they, they are not going to take six guys 
just to take six guys. Like they they will take as many guys that fit the profile without compromising the quality standard that they want for the room um, that they can get. But they're they're not gonna they aren't gonna just go take bodies to take bodies. They'll wait and be patient, and they'll go through the portal. Um, they'll wait and see what kind of guys uncover themselves throughout the, their senior seasons here as, as games literally kicked off tonight in Georgia and, uh, and on the East coast in Florida. So, uh, there's, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I have a lot of faith in coach Clem. Um, he also had a really good answer to a question kind of talking about like the opportunity that's presented with all the guys that have been kind of nicked up here early in camp on the offensive line. And, he talked about his time at UCLA. He's like he had two full waves of guys that got drafted and played in the NFL. And some of those guys had to play as true freshmen because guys in front of them got hurt or there wasn't enough depth on the roster that they had inherited. And so um, his whole thing is that he's not going to panic. He's just going to get guys ready, and those guys are going to perform well, and that's his job. And that it was weird. It was like it gave me confidence almost, just like remind, like, yeah, this guy's – yeah, he's really damn good at his job. And so if uh, if we're struggling a little bit on the trail right now for whatever reason on the offensive line, um, he's going to get it right. I trust his evaluation skills. I mean, shoot, like the first guy that he's taken a flyer on was Kweeka Rogers at the end of last cycle. And all of the reports that I've heard is that he's probably the best guy in the offensive line class that came in last year. So I, I, I trust his eyes. I think that at this point, given his resume as an evaluator, um, that it, he deserves the benefit of the doubt on the guys that he likes. Um, and I, I want to see what kind of class he can put together in this cycle. And I'm glad to hear that they're going to be patient and they're, they're not going to rush to just take bodies. Yeah. I think that's the worst thing you can do. And it's just like, Oh, we need five guys. And now you're way down your board and you're, you're taking guys that you're just going to end up like having to figure out how, how to, you know, usher off the roster later. Um, and that's, that's not a way that's not a very, you know, a good way of, I think, roster construction over the long term, right? I mean, so I'm happy to hear that, too. That that made my day. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good, that was a really, really good interview. That guy's got a certain swagger about him. Um, he, I think, I mean, this staff has got a bunch of great interviewers on him, so. Um, any other thoughts on camp? No, I mean, I think uh, some of the early reports that Caleb Chapman's been really standing out are, like, that's awesome. Uh, love to see that and especially like again six five two hundred nineteen pound receiver if if he can if he can stay healthy i think given what he's already shown on tape throughout his career at texas a and m this could be a big pickup and this could be a guy that makes a substantial impact on on games this season so uh, i'm glad to see that he's healthy and that he's making plays and hopefully those reports continue to trickle out as we move forward in camp yeah there certainly seems to be plenty of opportunities of that position. <laughs> you know, it feels like not so long ago we were talking about the lack of depth and concerns at wide receiver. And obviously the, the staff did a great job, not just recruiting, you know, the, in the, in the high school ranks, but, you know, bringing in Chapman, bringing in Coda. And, uh, and those guys are guys, you know, who obviously can play and contribute right now. You know, they're not just depth guys. They're guys who could threaten for, for major rotation, you know, snaps. Yeah. And contribute at a high level, right. And be, consistent go-to guys like you said chapman chapman's talent has been evident he's just he's really battled injuries yeah and i think the fact of the matter is that he's not like if if you if if he's unavailable we still have a lot of quality of it like on the team but the fact that like he he gives us another little bit of juice and upside um 
that we might have not had otherwise. And so I'm I'm really really rooting for him. Hopefully he can stay healthy and um really kind of put that that season together that he's been close to doing over the last few years and stay healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um should we talk about the Ducks new commit? Yeah, I think that's perfect. So Oregon scored another commitment today. Uh, Jerry Mixon joining the flock, uh, linebacker from San Francisco. Name might sound familiar to Duck fans who have been following recruiting for a few years. He is the cousin, first cousin, of uh, Joe Mixon, who's a running back at Oklahoma, first-round pick, plays for the Bengals now, one of the better running backs in the NFL. Um, First cousin here uh, out of San Francisco. He's being brought in as a linebacker. Um, very similar kind of frame, body type at the same stage as Joe. Six two and a half, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Um, but he's just like a really well-proportioned kid to the point where it's like, yeah, he's two hundred twenty-five pounds right now, and he's got good length. But you could tell that the second he gets in the gets in the strength and conditioning program and and, and nutrition program, that he's just gonna he's gonna get bigger still. He is just kind of scratching the surface of that frame and that body. Um, and he's going to be a pretty big backer. Like I think he's going to be a 235, 240-pound kid. Um, but the thing that I think you see this with his bloodlines, and I wrote about this in the eval that's on Scoop Duck, is he's a really, really fluid athlete. Like He can open and close his hips no problem. He can get out and cover. Um, and I think I, the, the more I watched him, the more I was like kind of concerned, like not concerned, but confused as to why he was ranked where he was because you have a kid who's got all the prerequisite size attributes you look for. He's got a big frame with growth potential, good length, um, and he carries weight proportionally throughout his body. So it's not like he's a guy with like little itty bitty chicken legs. That's just going to only put weight on above the belt. Um, and then he has, he has this athletic profile where like he, he plays running back for that team as well. And he's hitting home runs and he's running away from people. And, uh, he, there's clips of him getting pick sixes in coverage and not just like playing coverage, but going from being lined up at linebacker to undercutting a wheel route. That's 30 yards away from him on the sideline, like showing real like sideline to sideline range for the linebacker position. Um, and, and she, again, like showing good instincts for angles and understanding of how to, um, inter- intercept balls and, and get to the catch point and put his body in a good position. And so I think when you kind of mix those two things, the, like the good um, explosive range as a, as a runner um, and a mover and the ability to open and close his hips and change directions with the big frame, it's like, why, w- what's missing here? Cause as I dug deeper into his tape and watched him play the linebacker position, he like, he does a good job of staying square and sifting through traffic um, and playing with instincts. Like, he takes tremendous angles, both in coverage um, and chasing the ball from, from playing that stack linebacker spot. Like he, he just seems like kind of the perfect fit for what um, Coach Lanning and Coach Long and Coach LaPoy are looking for at the linebacker position. It's what, He's the same type of uh, frame and athletic profile that they've been prioritizing, whether they were at Alabama or Georgia. So... Uh, really, really excited about this pickup. Think he's a guy that's um, a little bit undervalued by the recruiting services at this point, uh, just given how big and how athletic he is. So that gives that's the Ducks' first uh, linebacker commit of this class, um, and you think maybe one or two more they're looking for at that position. Obviously, yeah. with the caveats we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's interesting because um, following this year. 
you're going to be in a position where if things go right and things go well and guys stay healthy, you're probably going to be losing both starters and Sewell and Flo at the inside backer spots. Now, you're going to be returning Bassa and Leduc, who are going to be ready to step right in. You're going to be returning uh, a third-year um, Brown, who can, who's going to have played a lot of snaps, both as a true freshman, I would assume, this year as a sophomore, Keith Brown. And then you also have the two guys that um, you brought into the program from the cycle pro- from this last cycle in, in Devin Jackson and Harrison Taggart. So depending on if if, if um, Tuioti is a inside linebacker or an edge player by the staff's assessment, they they either might be done or take one more inside linebacker, in my opinion. Gotcha. Try to hover right around that seven to eight scholarship inside backers. Um, but again, I, I don't know that it's completely clear yet what position um, little Tuioti is being recruited to play because... I think his physical profile projects better on the inside, but his, all of his tape so far in high school has been as an edge player. Makes sense. Um, and moving on from that, you know, one of the things that we had been talking about before with the Pac-12 having moved to a divisionless or you know divisionless standings this year and having just the top two make the conference title game is what what are the tiebreakers going to look like? Uh, you know, should there one be one needed for that, you know, second spot and the PAC 12 came out today with, or not today, but came out this week with, with those tiebreaker criteria. And, you know, it not, it wasn't a huge surprise to me, but there are some interesting wrinkles to it. I, I thought I might run through the tiebreakers for our listeners and, and get your thoughts on it. If you don't mind. Yeah, this is your wheelhouse. Let's get into it. Okay. So, you know, obviously if they're, Two teams tied for first, then they both make it. No big deal, right? Um, who cares if who wears the home jerseys in Vegas? But you know, assuming there's a clear number one and the two teams are tied for second, then um, the criteria is as follows. First, obviously, is head-to-head. So if those two teams played each other, then the winner of that game will win the tiebreaker, just like you know every other football tiebreaker in existence. Um, the second tiebreaker, should the teams have not played, is... Um, essentially you, you look at the record of each team against the highest ranked opponent that they both played within the conference and, and by ranked it's the, in the conference standings, right? So we're not talking about rankings or anything like that. It's if there's, let's just use an example scenario because I think it'll help illustrate the point. So let's, let's say Utah is eight and one and is the clear number one seed they're in. And then let's say USC and Oregon are both seven and two, and we're trying to break that tie. Um, they don't play this year, so they won't have a head-to-head. So in this scenario I talked about, then the next the next tiebreaker is since Utah is the highest ranked common opponent, both teams play Utah this year, is the highest ranked common opponent within the conference standings. If one of those teams had beaten Utah and one had lost to Utah, then the team that beat Utah will win the tiebreaker. Um, however, if they both either both beat Utah, which wouldn't be possible in the example I cited with one loss total for Utah, um, or if they both lost to Utah, let's say, then it goes to the third tiebreaker, and that is the record against the next opponent in that list, right? So whoever the number four team is, then if both Oregon and USC played the number four team, and let's just say it's UCLA, for example, they both will play UCLA this year. So if if 
let's say they both beat UCLA, then they go to the next team in the list and the next team in the list and the next team in the list all the way down in, until they break that tie or or they have to move to the next tiebreaker. The interesting thing about this is that tiebreaker actually rewards the team who who loses to the lowest ranked team in the conference, right? So if you <laughs> it, 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 you you want you want your loss to be worse because that makes your win better, right? So let's say, you know, Oregon Oregon uh, beats loses Utah, to Colorado, yeah, but loses to Colorado, they're going to be in better shape than USC. If USC, yeah, let's say let's say Utah beats both, right? Just as an example, and and let's say you know we work down the list, and Oregon's loss is to Colorado, and USC's loss is to Washington. UCLA. Or, yeah. yeah, UCLA or Oregon State or Washington State, Oregon's going to win the tiebreaker because they have a worse loss. It's kind of a perverse way of doing it. It's looking at wins, really. Like who who was? Did you beat the best team? Did you beat the next best team? Did you beat the the third best team? But it, but in a, if you look at it from the opposite standpoint, it ends up in being like if you're going to lose, you want to lose to the team at the bottom of the standings. If this tiebreaker were to come into play, um. So that's an interesting one. And and then um, if for some reason they're still tied after that, we're getting into, you know, unlikely scenarios, obviously. But in the scenario of, of that I mentioned with USC and, and, and Oregon in that scenario, so they, they have Oregon plays Washington and USC doesn't. And USC plays Arizona State and Oregon doesn't. So there's a scenario where they could each lose to those teams and have the same record against all the other teams in the conference. And then this whole tiebreaker goes through and we still haven't broken the tie. Um, and in that scenario, you then go to the record against all of your common opponents, right? So they'll have each team plays nine total conference games. There'll be eight common opponents, right? You don't play yourself. In this case, you don't play each other. And, you know the aforementioned um i guess yeah eight you know the aforementioned uh, washington and arizona state would not be common opponents so it would be your record amongst the other eight teams um and if somebody has an advantage there so in this scenario the, there's a weird <laughs> if it gets to this tiebreaker there's another weird perverse incentive for oregon if it gets to this tiebreaker the way oregon wins this tiebreaker is if one of oregon's losses is to washington because well, they will happen. then they will then and and you and USC you know let's say beats Arizona State and loses to somebody else then the common Oregon will beat USC on common opponent records if they lose to Washington <laughs> it's it's really bizarre when you start going through all this uh, and you kind of end up with this weird perverse incentive uh, situation going um, again these are unlikely scenarios but then if you get past that one even then it goes to just total wins. And this is the one where I think if you're an Oregon fan, you have to kind of think this is, this is kind of bad, right? So it's just like of your 12 games, uh, you know, how many did you win? You know, including the out of conference game. So, you know, if you're Oregon and you're playing Georgia and BYU in the non-conference, you know, and, and so let's say the tiebreaker isn't against USC. Let's say it's against UCLA who plays an absolutely garbage non-conference schedule right now ucla is going to you know get the tiebreaker because they played nobody and oregon went and played georgia like that that's i don't like that one at all 
Uh, yeah. So, uh, it, thankfully for, for our sanity, I don't anticipate that we're going to be having to go that far into this. No, no, I, I don't either. But it, but again, this is the tiebreaker for not just this year, but for the foreseeable future. But if it does get that far, that would be that would be very, very unlikely. So I would be interested to go back and look at all of the conference standings from the last decade and see if we would have at any point actually needed the tiebreaker. I'm not because now I will do this. <laughs> you have just given me a homework assignment unknowingly, and and I will accept it, and I will do it. Because I don't, I don't think that there has been. I think almost every time that this has been pretty clear. Now, I know there was a couple times in the early 2010s where it would have just been an Oregon-Stanford rematch as yeah. opposed to yeah. a team from the South. But I don't think that that would have changed the two teams with tiebreakers. I don't think no, I I mean I'll go back and look. I and you know off the top of my head, I think there there's there's definitely going to be probably a couple cases where there's a tie for second place and but I'm guessing most of those scenarios the head to head is going to solve it and and if not certainly running through the list of of opponents, you know, in order or you know the ranked the ranked uh, common opponents in order will will solve it if not. So it it's probably not going to get past the second the second tiebreaker in any in any likely scenario, um, but it was good. The Pac-12 needed to put this out there. You know, they they hadn't done it when they announced their their change of format. You know, a couple months back, and obviously, you, this needs to be published before games start being played. And so now it is, and it's out there. And um, it, you know, we'll see if it all comes into play. I, I think that in most years, you know, you need to win. You need to win seven games in conference to make whether that's in the division format or in a divisionless format, right? It would be very unlikely for a six and three conference team to be in the top two. Um, so, you know, seven and two is the target if you want to make the title game. And and seven and two might bring a tiebreaker in place. And most years it wouldn't. In most years you'd be a clear, you know, in with seven and two, but you never know. In my opinion, like if you get left out because of a tiebreaker, it's your own damn fault. Win your games. Like it, it, you just yeah. got to take care of business. If if you're if you really are the best team in the conference, then you should leave no doubt. Yeah, I think that's I think that's certainly the way that coaches and players and everybody would look at it too. I think you know when you look at it, you know from from afar and you look at the some of the like weird perverse incentives in in getting to the third and fourth tiebreaker on the list and how it actually would might play out. It's you're like, are we really rewarding the right things here? But at the end of the day, you have to you have to do it somehow. I think it's a fan thing more than anything, right? If you end up getting to one of these third or fourth tiebreakers, and you know, Oregon or USC, you know, gets left out because they <laughs> lost to the wrong team, or they beat Utah, but lot, or, or let's say they lost to Colorado, but beat you know UCLA, and that's what gets them in. Like some fans are going to be like. That don't seem right, <laughs> but it would be, you know, it'll be absolute and utter chaos. Oh yeah, yeah, it will be. Especially you know if it's USC, right? Like if USC gets left out because you know they 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 you know lost to a a good team, and the team that they lose the tiebreaker to lost to a bad team, then they're gonna their fans are gonna be pretty upset about it, and you know. That would the Oregon fans probably would be too if it was the other way around. But yeah. like you said, win your games, leave no doubt, and 
then you don't have to worry about tiebreakers coming into play. Yeah. Can I give you another bit of homework to do? Isn't one enough? Um, I don't know. I think this is more enjoyable. Like, I know you're not a big NFL guy, but um, the first episode of Hard Knocks got released this week. I actually think that you'd really enjoy it. I, I want I want to see if you'd like the first episode. It's Detroit, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll go watch it. And like, it, it's like, yeah, there, there? yeah, there's some good Panay stuff in the first episode. All right. Um, okay. And like, like, I think you'll like their head coach. Um, he's a total football guy. Like real old school football guy. Like I know you love that kind of stuff. So I think I don't know. I just I was just thinking about it. I was thinking about you, and I was like, you know what would make Doug happy? Hard knocks would make Doug happy. Right. I'll put it on my watch list for uh, for the next week. So yeah, Perfect. thanks. Now you've given me two assignments. Can I give you an assignment? No. Okay. Well, I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, but just only if it doesn't take work. <laughs> uh. Moving on, I, I you know feel like uh, any more thoughts on the tiebreakers? I, I think you kind of said what you wanted to say. Win your games. Um, no, I, I I'm glad you let, laid it all out though, um, because like given the fact that you're the the workhorse of this podcast, the one that does all the research, um, there's no chance in hell that I would have ever read all that. So that's awesome, and uh, I do care about it actually. And now that I have like a baseline understanding of how it's going to work, I'm even more. Um, motivated as somebody that has zero impact on whether or not we win games to uh, for us to win all of our games so we don't have to deal with the like hypotheticals and all of the problems that could arise um, in that messy tie for second place situation. Let let Utah and USC tie for second and go through that. Yeah, and which is an easy tie to break because they play each other. So, But yes, um, and, and shout out to our friend of the show, James Krepia, who who published this on on, Oreg- on the Oregonian uh, day before yesterday? You know he he's been hounding this as much as I, and I know when we when he and I you know chat about it in spaces or online, we're both like, when are we going to release this? When are we going to release this? We need to see this, right? And and obviously he he was the one tracking it down as as a reporter that he is. So he thank shout out to him for for putting that in print for me. Absolutely, yeah. He's done he's done a fantastic. He's done a lot of really good pieces lately. So. Um... And as much as we joked earlier about like me hounding some people about like number like numbers of uh, height and weight, I'm sure I have a feeling that James is why things ultimately ended up changing because uh, he I think he had a, a serious case of FOMO watching all these other reporters get to report on all the changes uh, while he was looking at a roster with just numbers and names. <laughs> Yeah, I remember him being pretty frustrated about that last season. So, and, yeah. and I know he's he he can be a very squeaky wheel down Eugene, and and I think ultimately he's he's fighting for you know all of us fans to get you know the information that we all want to see. So I appreciate his yeah. efforts. Yeah, no, he's the best. I mean, like we've we've had some dud beat reporters over the years through the different publications that that cover Oregon football, um, and James is by far the best. So. Uh, to all the listeners, please make sure you go support his work because uh, we want we want to keep him covering the team. It's the best content we've had. Yeah, he does a great job. So, you know, kind of one last thing, I think, before we call it a day. There's a new NIL platform coming to Oregon sports, uh, and I, I'm really excited to hear about it. You know, it, they kind of went went public with a little teaser today. It's called Ducks Rising. You can see it at ducksrising.com. They're all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook right now. So they're, they're kind of putting out some teasers. Uh, yeah, I know you and I had a chance to chat with 
with Andrew, uh, who who's kind of the 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 muscle and brains and, and inspiration behind the operation, you know, supported by a bunch of other folks. But it, it's really interesting that it looks like they're really putting a lot of thought and care into launching a a platform that's going to provide a lot of NIL opportunities for Oregon Duck athletes in football and beyond football uh, eventually as well um, through kind of a paid membership site. You know, everyone collectively can join the site, pay a monthly fee, and then get access to, you know, really insider content, whether that content be a combination of of creative works by, you know, by Duck, um, you know, fans who just have a passion and, and alumni and things you know, for a passion for creating content as well as players, right? So player interviews, player exclusives, online meet and greets, you know, eventually some in-person meet and greets and, and all kinds of other opportunities for, for those players to engage with fans and, and then collect, you know, uh, an NIL payment for, for their efforts. So I, I'm really excited about Ducks Rising I think it's going to, you know, really help um, help raise the profile of of Oregon Duck athletes, you know, in the programs, and really be a cool way for fans to get involved and get engaged and feel like they can support, uh, you know, Oregon athletes, you know, and they don't have to be a millionaire to do it. Yeah, I I agree. I think this is something that's a uh, much needed entry into the marketplace for Oregon. Um, I know from the conversations that you and I have had with Andrew. Um, just kind of, and I think we'll we'll probably have a longer form interview with Andrew and some of the other people involved um, on launch. But the the fact of the matter that it's it's made by Oregon people, Oregon alum, Oregon fans for Oregon athletes, and the just the the community support that's already been shown for this endeavor. Um, I'm I'm really really excited for the access that this is going to create for fans to these student-athletes, um, the opportunity for these student-athletes to grow their pr- platforms, and just like the, the life-changing opportunities that this is going to produce for a lot of people. So um, I, I really, really can't wait for this thing to get to get going and uh, get some steam behind it because it's it's going to help Oregon in a lot of ways. And as we've discussed kind of over the, over some of the episodes here since we started the podcast, it's going to help Oregon on the recruiting trail. Like, like NIL matters, and the more people that are involved, um, it, it all adds up. We're working on a couple more interviews with some people I think that could bring some unique insight um, to, to some of the current events in college football and the things surrounding the Oregon football program. Um, and then we're really going to be ramping up here over the next two, three weeks um, to get into the to the two episode per week schedule we discussed at the, at the beginning of the podcast, um, and start previewing the season with a little bit more depth, talking about some of the teams that Oregon's going to be playing. Um, we have a little fantasy draft coming up between Doug and I. I think we're going to do that on the next episode, uh, drafting some players around the conference. But we're, there's a little twist to make it a little bit more difficult, um, and uh, we're gonna, we're going to kind of try to inspire a little bit of competition here to spice things up as we get closer to the season. Yeah, we we already got some beer bets on our over under picks, but it, interestingly, when reviewing those, we're we were the same on so many of them. So it's it's only going to take a few teams that's going to decide, you know, who wins that one over overall. This one will be easy because it's head to head, and there's a clear winner and a clear loser. And 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 you know, I know where I'm going to stand on that scale at the end of it. Yeah, someone's got to lose, Doug, and it's it's good that you acknowledge where you sit, and um, we'll 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 be stronger at the end of it. Yes, absolutely, we will be. Anything else? 
I got nothing. Um, episode will be coming out. We're we're trying to get on a more regular schedule, guys. Obviously, as I'm sure with all of your own lives, the summer brings up a lot of um, a lot of stuff, a lot of opportunities to do stuff with family and travel around. And uh, so we're we're trying to stay consistent. Uh, we will be consistent once the season comes. We're gonna have a pretty rigid release schedule. Um, but bear with us here over the next week. I know Doug's about to go out and. Uh, go on vacation again, but this time he, he put in for time off. So we're gonna we're gonna let him go enjoy himself. So uh, yeah, I learned from my mistake last time. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, but yeah. So, so again, I wanted to I wanted to uh, thank everybody for all the support. We really appreciate you guys. Like seriously, I've gotten so many unsolicited DMs of people just kind of asking about the podcast and wanting to know when more episodes are coming. We we I consciously and I think Doug agrees with this. We want to, we want this to be a very consistent and stable platform um, to talk duck sports and college football at large. And so uh, we're working on creating the infrastructure to make this a, a, a more consistent and stable uh, um, piece of content for you guys. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into the cadence, the, the two week cadence and just having games to talk about. And obviously the other big news that's going to be dropping, you know, here probably next week is, you know, the big tens new media deal and what that's going to look like and what impact that might have on, on college, you know, college football in general. So we'll, we'll be covering that, you know, as those details come out too. So there's a lot of good stuff coming up and, and it's just going to get better and better. So yeah, appreciate everyone's support, you know, keep listening, like our, like our Twitter page, you know, send it out to your friends and, and uh, you know, it, it, it's been a consistent growth cycle and, and it just amazes me how many people, uh, you know, tune in every, every episode to hear what we have to say. And, and I just can't thank thank you all enough for it. Also guys, like it, Doug's at 955 followers on Twitter. Can we please get him to a thousand? If, if we get him to a thousand, uh, Doug will do something cool. I don't know what that is yet, but we'll we'll figure it out. All right, I'm committed again. How do I keep coming up with that? <laughs> I don't know. Have a great week, everybody. All right, take care.